here. Congratulations on graduating from an extremely difficult program. Um, you're kind of a survivor now, aren't you? <laughs> so that's quite a, I mean, that's actually quite an astonishing accomplishment to graduate from a program where, what was it, three quarters of the students don't make it through? So that's, that's really amazing. Um, we also have uh, Jonathan and his, his wife, and we're grateful that they're here. And Valicia is here, and in her retinue today, she's got Dragoosh and uh, Zenu, and we're thankful that she's um, granted an audience to us today. Thank you for coming. Um, so, and all the other students too, Raquel, and I know we have some more, and I'm grateful that you're all here, and Ben. And how's your wife been doing? Benjamin, how is the program going for your wife? Is it going good? Okay, good. All right. Are you talking about PA? The PA. She starts this. She starts this. Wonderful. And it's a two-year or three-year? Two-year. Two wonderful. Wonderful. All right, so we have a lot of young people that are in the healthcare profession, which is a wonderful, something wonderful for Seventh-day Adventists because we have a special calling as Seventh-day Adventists to care for the sick and to be a blessing to them. Our sermon title today is on salvation, and I have to admit that my understanding of salvation changes every year. When I first got joined the church some 37 years ago, I thought, you know, if you're baptized, you're saved. You know, I, I'm baptized, so I'm saved. But I've realized that over the years that it's a little bit, there's more to it than that. And every day my understanding grows. I was reading a book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. Have any of you read that? The Screwtape Letters. And uh, it's a conversation between two devils who are trying to influence um, different members of the church to abandon their faith, essentially. And C.S. Lewis says that if he had to write the book over again, he would have tried to present angels talking to this church member to try to encourage them to stay in the church. But he says he don't know how he could write, how, what, how an angel could, could speak, because C.S. Lewis says, I'm certainly no angel, and I wouldn't know how they actually talk. But he said they, they would probably sound like Thomas Trahane, who was an English um, mystic poet of some 300 years ago, who I've never heard of. So I looked up Thomas Trahane, and I started reading um, a book that he wrote called Centuries of Meditations. And the book consists of short paragraphs of thanks and praise. It's almost like reading the Psalms, but he's extremely grateful for God's blessing, for the stars that fill the heaven and the, and the beauty of the earth. And he just goes on and on about how wonderful God's creation is. And after I read that and I started absorbing Thomas Trahane's attitude of gratitude, I realized that this man, Thomas Trahane, was so grateful 
for all of God's blessings, that he was madly in love with God. I mean, he was devoted to God, and he really appreciated him a lot. And after reading what Thomas Trahane had said, I doubt that there could have been much that would have dampened Thomas Trahane's faith. And I started thinking about my own faith and our own faith. What is it that makes us dedicated to God? Now, is it, do we do it out of fear? Are we Christians out of fear that we're going to go to hell? I have a, had a good friend in high school who went to church every, every Sunday he went to church. And I said, why do you go to church? And uh, he said, well, I don't really believe in all that stuff they teach in church, but I just don't want to go to hell, so I go to church so I won't have to go to hell. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, well, don't you think that God is smart enough to realize that if you're just going out of fear and you don't really love him or trust him or anything else, he's going to figure that out and, and you'll be excluded anyway? And he goes, well, I never thought about it that way, but you know, you're probably right. He, he probably has my number. So, so, you know, why is it that we go to church? And I think after I read Thomas Terhane's just a few pages of his book, I realized that it's out of love and gratitude for God that we really are dedicated to him. And if we don't have that love and gratitude, then we're just doing it out of a kind of a mechanical process. And we really need to fall in love with God. Now, why, why would someone fall in love? What, what causes us to fall in love? Well, I think the kind of love that, that God is interested in is a very personal and caring. And if you look through the Old Testament, you'll see over and over again that God is intervening to show his concern and love for us. For example, and I'll just go through this. He created us. In Genesis 2, it says, the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So he created us. Now, my wife does a lot of creative things. She creates these incredibly delicious meals in the kitchen. She can, in the space of 15 minutes, put together a fantastic meal. And I, I mean, she'll have three or four things going on at once, and it comes out beautiful. And I don't know how she does it. And when she makes this meal, I really appreciate it a lot because when I eat her cooking, I always feel really good. I feel alert and um, energized, and I become talkative and, and gregarious. and. And, but when I go and eat at other places, like it was her birthday on, on Wednesday, Thursday, and she wanted to go to this fancy restaurant in Redlands, which I didn't really want to go to. I don't, don't really like going out to restaurants. But anyway, I went just to make her happy, and it was kind of one a really um, upwardly mobile kind of restaurant. All the people were young and beautiful, and. Um, I didn't quite fit in, but anyway. <laughs> so we're in this really nice restaurant, and the food is really nice, and they make it with olive oil, and they have these cooks that were trained uh, 
in New York and some of the best cooks in the world. And, but after I ate this meal, I got home and I felt sick for two days because it was so rich. You know, they use, they use really lots of oils and creams and rich foods, and I can't digest rich foods. I like fruits and vegetables and things. And so I felt sick for a couple days. And that made me even more grateful for my wife's cooking. So I, when my wife does something, she does it really well, and I'm grateful for it. I'm very thankful for what she does. And I think that when God created us, he created us, what does the Bible say? We are strange and wonderfully made. We can do astonishing things. Like Leilani went through this program, which 75% of the students failed. That's actually an incredible accomplishment on her part. And I don't think she really realizes it or appreciates to what a high level she has now achieved and will continue to achieve. I mean, being a nurse is a, a wonderful blessing. Yeah. And so, but God created us to do wonderful things, to be a blessing to others. And I'm confident that, that all of you students here will do wonderful things and accomplish great things and do miracles. Well, anyway, God created us. He, he created this garden for us to live in. Now, I really like gardens a lot. I'm trying to turn, we have a, a bit of a front yard and a bit of a backyard at our home, Loma Melinda, and we've put in, I don't know, maybe 18 fruit trees in our yard. And... An uh, agriculture inspector from the state of California stops by our house every year to look at all of our trees. He says, you have a legally called a grove. It's a small orchard. And so I have to inspect all the groves and orchards in, in this district. And so he comes by. And we spend a lot of time talking. And I show him how we planted the trees. We planted by the Ellen White method. Have any of you heard of the Ellen White method for planting trees? Well, you dig a hole three feet deep and three feet wide and you put in peat moss and fertilizer and gypsum and all sorts of things to enrich the soil. And the trees are growing incredibly well, most of them, except the few that I over-fertilized. But anyway, the, the agriculture worker says, I've never heard of this before. I've never seen this done before. And I, and I said, well, the soil is really well prepared. And I had this six-foot-long steel rebar rod. It's about, about this long. And I said, let me show you how well, how easy it is for the roots to penetrate the soil. So I went to the middle of the yard where we hadn't dug, and I tried to put this rebar rod down into the ground, and it went down about an inch. You know, I mean, the soil in Loma Linda is terrible. And it just, it wouldn't go anywhere. So then I went over by one of the trees and I took this rebar rod near the tree and I started pushing it down and it went down five feet with no resistance. It was incredible. And so like her methods are really good and so the roots can penetrate easily and the trees are growing really well. All the trees, or most of the trees, bore fruit the first year we put them in which was really neat. They didn't bear a lot of fruit because they were, you know, like we put in a grapefruit tree and it was only this big. By the end of the year, it was twice as big. 
and it had like three or four grapefruit on it, which I thought was pretty nice. We got peaches, we got apricots. We would have had a lot more apricots, but we had a late frost, and it killed most of the flowers. So I only got about a half a dozen apricots, but they were really good. But so anyway, I really like gardens, and God put us in a garden, a beautiful garden to keep to care for it. He gave us operating instructions. He said, you can eat any of the fruit except the tree of the knowledge and good of, of good and evil. Now, when I first read that, I thought that was kind of arbitrary. Why would he, you know, just make this, you can't eat this tree, and if you do, you're going to get into trouble? Well, I had to think about that for about 35 years to figure out what was going on. I'm not sure I completely understand it, but what he was saying was, I'm testing you to see if you're willing to follow my instructions. Are you willing to trust me and follow me? Because we had a lesson to learn, and that is we in and of ourselves cannot see the future. We can't understand all the consequences of our actions, and we really need him to show us what we can do and what we can't do. And so he was just saying, are you willing to follow my instructions? And it turned out Adam and Eve were not. They thought that they could figure things out better by themselves, which is a tragedy that's repeated over and over again. We still think we know best. Well, he also gave Adam a helpmate. He said, it is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So he created Eve. And I think Adam was so enchanted and enthralled with Eve that when Eve sinned and he thought about being separated from her forever, he couldn't bear the thought of it. And so he took the forbidden fruit and ate it because he loved her so much and wanted to be with her so much, he was not willing to give her up not realizing that God could have made something perhaps better for him in the long run. But when God created Eve, she was so wonderful that Adam was really, really... It's like I can imagine the conversation. And so God created Eve, and he brings her to Adam, and he says, I have something for you. I think you're going to like it. Well, he had no idea <laughs> how much he really did. So now, God spent, if you go through the Old Testament, look for all the times that God spent time with the patriarchs or the people. There's over and over again, God is coming down and he's doing things for, for human beings. He created, a gar he created them, made a garden, he gave them instructions. It says of Enoch, Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him away. They got to be such close friends that God said, I heard one preacher say it this way. They were out for a long walk, and they walked so far that after they'd walked so far and realized it was late in the day, God said, well, you know, we're closer to my house than yours. Let's go to my house. And so that was the, that's the last we saw of Enoch. Um, what about Noah? In Genesis, it says, this is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of, a, of his time, and he walked with God. 
this phrase appears walking with God over and over again in the Bible. Now, does it mean they actually walked with God like Enoch did, or does it they mean they walked in the ways of God? I'm not exactly sure. I think it, it can be a play on words, but the fact is that God spent time with a lot of people in the Old Testament. Now imagine for a second that you created a robot, a little robot. Like in Japan, they have robot clubs and everybody builds their own little robots and they can walk around or they can climb ladders or all sorts of little tricks they do. Now imagine making a robot and you're so enchanted with this thing that you spend all of your time with it and you're talking to it and you're, well, I mean, that's kind of hard for me to imagine, but God, when God created us, he created us as sentient beings. We're capable of being aware. We're capable of showing gratitude and love. And I think that God likes being with us. He enjoys our company. He is enchanted with us. I mean, for example, there's a story of Jacob was wrestling with an angel and uh, the angel dislocated one of his ligaments in his leg so he couldn't wrestle anymore. And, but at the end of this encounter, the angel said, you have wrestled with man and God and prevailed. Now imagine wrestling with God, and even though you lose, you still win the battle, so to speak, or you win the encounter. You've won God's confidence. So, so when we interact with God, I think he respects our opinions, our decisions, our insights, and he appreciates talking to us. He appreciates hearing from us. When we pray, we are not talking to, like my wife was a Hindu, and she had this, in her backyard, they had their Hindu god in their backyard, and it was this big round stone about this big, like a giant ostrich egg, and her and all of her brothers every day had to go and pray to this ostrich, giant ostrich egg made out of stone. And the prayers were very ritualistic. My wife said none of her prayers were ever answered, ever. Not a single prayer was ever answered. And one day, when she got to be about 18 and started thinking for herself, there was a library in her town, a very small library, maybe only had two or 300 books, but she read every book in that library. And so she started, she read all the English classics and whatever she could find. And she just, you know, there's something wrong with this, with this God. It doesn't answer prayers. So one day she went into the garden where this little sanctuary was, and she turned away from it and looked up into heaven and said, if there is a real God in heaven, please show me. Well, two weeks later, some missionaries came, well, about a week later she had a dream and there was this little white woman and there were not a lot of white people down where she lived. She was 
from East India, and there were a lot of people from Africa down there in southern Trinidad. She had this dream. This little white woman came and said, will you, will you be my friend? So two weeks later, there were some missionaries who stopped in the, what they thought was jungle in the middle of the forest in Trinidad, and they were out with nets, and they were hunting butterflies. And they stumbled across this little house in a little valley with no electricity, with a dirt floor, where my wife, where Mala was living when she was a young girl. Twelve, I'm sorry, ten children. And dirt, literally dirt par. They used to take cow manure and mix it with the mud so that the floor would be hard in the house. Any of you grew up like that? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, I actually walked on that floor. It was very, very poor, but they stumbled across, these missionaries stumbled across the house and they made friends with the family. And when the missionaries were leaving, the wife of the missionary said, Let's be friends. Let me give you my address and we'll write to each other. And eventually, through that influence, Mala became a Christian. And now, was that all a coincidence? Or was that an answer to prayer? It was an answer to prayer. And not only that, but my wife said that when she saw this missionary coming, walking towards their little hut, it wasn't a house, it was a hot really she goes I know that woman where have I seen her before well she saw her in her dream so now how is it that God cares about us so much that he communicates with us through dreams and visions and insights now it appears to me that if you don't like someone you usually avoid them, don't you? You don't talk to them. You kind of stay away from them. But if you like somebody, you try to spend time with them. My, my wife says to me, I mean, we both, we're both professionals. She's a nurse, and I'm a dentist and a professor, and we're, we have really busy schedules, and we don't spend a lot of time together. But when we do spend time together, my wife says, there's nothing I enjoy more than spending time with you. And when she first said that, I was like shocked because why would she, you know, want to spend time with me? You know, it's like, <laughs> I just didn't get it, you know. But she says she really likes, um, she likes uh, to spend time with me. And sometimes I make her laugh. Um, and she really, she really likes that. And so she'll walk into the room and I'll go, oh, chère mademoiselle, I have heard the reports of your beauty, but only half of the truth was told. <laughs> That's all the French I know. But, anyway. <laughs> but so anyway, I'll make her laugh and, and she really thinks that's funny and she thinks I'm funny. But, you know, she, she likes spending time with me. Well. I believe that God likes spending time with us. He's interested in what we have to say and what our fears are and what our concerns are. And I think he's just in concerned with our problems 
as we are, probably more. And he wants each and every one of us to be a success. He doesn't want us to be the tail. He wants us to be the head. And knowing that, knowing that he wants you to be successful, you have to believe that he's going to give you the wisdom, the skill, the strength, whatever you need to be successful. And so you're not by yourself anymore. Whether you're a doctor or a nurse or a teacher or a housewife or a student in grade school, you are not by yourself. He is going to be with you and give you wisdom and skill and strength. And he'll show you just what to do and how to do it. And he'll give you the words to say. That's one of the reasons I'm not afraid of speaking in public. Because I don't believe it is I who is speaking. I believe that I'm going to be given help to know what to say. And I believe he will help all of you to know what to say and to do in every situation that you're in. He'll give you the right words to say. And I've seen that many times when I interact with patients. The patients will... You know, and I've told you this story many times before, but I've had patients that have gone to 12 other doctors and nobody could seem to help them. And within five minutes, we were able to figure out what was wrong. And the patients go, how did you do that? How did you know what the problem was? And I'll usually, I'll give them a long answer, but the short answer is, I'm praying. I'm praying for wisdom. And he'll show you and it is so much fun. I mean, it is so, I go home at the end of the day after an encounter like that, and I get on my knees, and I thank the Lord that he's helped me to help these people that nobody else could help. And it's just, and it's such an incredible feeling. And, but you know, it, it's not always appreciated by everybody. Sometimes I have to spend an hour, I've had patients I've spent an hour and a half with one patient. Now, how long does a t doctor typically spend with a patient? Ten minutes? Seven. Three minutes. Three minutes? <laughs> Do I hear four? Is there, <laughs> you know, it's not a lot of time. I mean, my doctor spends about ten, ten minutes with me, and that's about it. I've spent an hour and a half with a few. I mean, sometimes you really have to make an investment, um, but it usually pays off tremendously. Now, this particular patient I spent an hour and a half with was a dying patient. And nobody would help him because they thought he was too sick. He was beyond, beyond helping. But we found a way to, to be a blessing to the patient. So you need to believe that God is going to give you the wisdom to do well. Well, now, sometimes he asks us to do things that we don't want to do. In fact, usually he does. Like Abraham, in Genesis 12, it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. I believe that promise is not just for Abraham. It's for all of you. He calls us to go and do things 
that we are unprepared for and unwilling to do in our own strength. And that he is going to give us the strength. And if we let him guide and lead, we will be a blessing to everyone that we work with. And when I, when I work with the students, sometimes we have patients that have complicated cases. And the students go, oh, I, this is, I don't know what to do, and I, I, this is over my head, and, and I'm, I'm confused, and I don't know what to do. And I said, well, you're not doing this by yourself. You're not alone. You have, there's 200 faculty here at the dental school. You can consult with any one of them, and we'll be more than happy to help you with this case, and we're going to sit down with you and guide you through it. You won't be doing it by yourself. And this patient doesn't have a lot of money, so they can't afford to go to an outside dentist. So it's either you or nothing. There's nowhere else they're going to get help. So, and I tell them this, I said, for this patient, you are the best doctor in the world. And that kind of makes them shocks them to hear that. Did I ever say that to you, Felicia? <laughs> well, I, I really believe that. And because with God's help and strength and guidance, you can do incredible things as a doctor or as a nurse or a teacher or a housewife or a mother or whatever you are. You have to have hope that God is going to strengthen you and guide you. If I didn't believe that, I would give up in despair. I mean, some of the problems I have to face are way beyond my ability. But I believe that God can strengthen us. Now, believing that, now it's getting late here and everyone looks hungry. And some of you are drifting off to sleep, so I should probably close up soon. But we need to recognize God's blessings. We need to recognize his blessings and be grateful for them and thankful. And I think if we are grateful for his blessings, we'll fall in love with him. And then we'll have a wonderful relationship with him. It's not just we're praying to him and, you know, oh, dear God, all-powerful and almighty. It's more of, it'll be more of a conversation that you're having with a friend. What did Jesus say? He says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. We, like Abraham, will become the friends of God. There's a story. There's a book. Um, I think it's called They Call Me a Heretic. And it's about a woman in Pakistan who became a Christian. And she was talking to some Christian missionaries in Pakistan and she said to the missionaries, what do you know about God? And the missionary, this missionary wife said, well, I don't really know very much about God, but I know him. And this Pakistani woman was shocked by the answer, meaning you know God? Like you're friends with him, you 
talk to him? Like you know him, like you know your next door neighbor or your, your uncle or someone else? You, you can know him? And she said, yes, I know him. And this Pakistani woman was shocked by that because the idea that you can get to know God is, was astonishing to her. But I believe we all can, and I believe he wants to hear from you. He wants to hear what you have to say. He's interested in your opinion. When he was going down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham pleaded with him not to destroy the city. He got, Abraham talked God into not destroying the city if you could find 10 righteous people. And, but the city was destroyed because none of you were there. Where were you when we needed you? But anyway, that's another story. So I believe that, that salvation is a relationship. It's not a body of knowledge. It's not merely or grandly an act that Christ committed on the cross. It's much more than that. It's all of those things, but it's a relationship that you have. When you're, when you're praying with God, you are talking to a friend, and he cares deeply about you, and he loves you. And he's hoping that you will fall in love with him. Amen. Amen.